0: John chapter 10, we, we're continuing in our, uh, in our series that we've entitled, It's All About Jesus. And in a series, we're looking at some of the things that Jesus said about himself uh, and looking at the I am sayings in John's gospel. Uh, so today we're going to look at John chapter 10. We get two I am sayings for the price of one. There we go. Which will become clear as I... Read in a moment, I'm going to read John chapter 10, verse 1 to 21. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever, listens, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life And have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. So I say, we're carrying on looking at these great I am sayings that Jesus says about himself. I am uh, so many different things, but here today, I am the gate for the sheep. And I am the good shepherd. This passage uh, and the the events that are taking place in some ways follow on quite closely to what Dan was looking at uh, last time when we looked at... Jesus saying that he was the light of the world. In chapter 8, in chapter eight the, Jesus and the Pharisees are having a long conversation back and forth, different members of the Jewish community, and particularly the Pharisees were coming and challenging him and talking to him and asking questions and, and, and all sorts of things. This conversation goes on throughout chapter 8. And it comes to the point where they, they make this claim directly Aren't you a demon-possessed Samaritan, essentially? Oh, okay. And then they pick up pick up stones to stone him, right at the end of chapter eight. But Jesus slips away and he hides. He hides from them. He's, He's hidden from them. He slips away from them, and they can't carry out what they want to do. But then we're told straight away in chapter 9, as he went along, he saw a blind man. We don't know how much time's passed there or whether this follows on straight away, but he sees a blind man and he heals him. We see at the beginning of chapter 9, he went along, saw a blind man, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. And we see Jesus displaying the work of God in this man's life by opening his eyes. And we see, you might be familiar with what Jesus did. In verse 6, he spat on the ground, made some mud, and put it on the man's eyes. And he tells him to go and wash. And when the man washed, his eyes were opened and he could see. And so he's healed this man, and as we later come to see, he's healed this man on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees are kind of get involved again. The man goes the man is brought before them. And they seem far more concerned about the fact that he's been that whatever happened was done on the Sabbath than the fact that the man's been healed. And they have this whole conversation with the man. They in- interrogate him, effectively. Before we come again, in verse 15 and 16, they're divided again. Well, uh, what? Uh, Some of the Pharisees said in verse 16 of chapter 9, this man's not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Saying, Jesus, he can't be from God. If he's healing on the Sabbath, what's this all about? But others are, others are saying, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? They're divided, they're confused, but ultimately they come to the end of their conversation with the man and they throw him out of the the temple or of wherever they are. They throw him out from amongst them. And he comes and and Jesus finds him again and he talks to him and it leads to another conversation with the Pharisees right here at the beginning of chapter 10. He's told... The man who was blind, who now sees, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he asks who he is. Tell me so I may believe in him. But Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he is the one who is speaking with you. Reveals himself to the blind man. I am the Son of Man. Then the Pharisees get in and say, Jesus tells them, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And the Pharisees are asking, what are we blind too? So Jesus begins to explain to them. He says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And that leads him to tell them this story. Story about sheep. Tells a story about sheep gathered in a pen. There's walls around it. There's a gate for them to come in and out. A story about sheep. Sheep. Such a strong image throughout scripture. We see so many shepherds throughout the Old Testament. It was such a key part of their culture and the makeup of the people of Israel and those who lived in those lands. We can look back, right back to the book of Genesis and we can see, just for sake of an example, we can see Jacob. And particularly we see Jacob with Laban. Jacob run away from Esau and he goes to his uncle Laban and he works with him. And what does Jacob do? He looks after Laban's flocks. We know the story for so many other reasons. It's like, well, what's your wages going to be? Well, let me marry your daughter, Rachel. Uh, okay, work for seven years. And he gives him, the, gives him his daughter, but it's not Rachel, it's Leah. And then he works a bit more, and, but he gets Rachel as well. And it, so we know the story for all sorts of other reasons, but Jacob is looking after the sheep. He's a shepherd. He's looking after Laban's sheep and we we'll know the story again for another reason that in the end Jacob ends up with most of the sheep after Laban tries to trick him out of all of them and then Jacob manages to trick him and he, gets, he ends up with all the sheep. Jacob was a shepherd and we see that continues through Joseph and his brothers. They're looking after the sheep in, chapter, in Genesis chapter 37 when Joseph has his dreams as they arrive in Egypt, they announce themselves as a family of shepherds in Genesis chapter forty seven and verse three. This is who they are. Pharaoh asked them, What's your occupation? We're shepherds. We've come here now because in the land of Canaan there's there's no food for our sheep. Shepherds. Of course, if we're looking for an example, we see David. And just to pick up on it as he as he goes to just before he fights Goliath he's gone to the battle. He's taken food for his brothers and what did his what do his brothers say to him? What are you doing here? Who have you left the sheep with? Because David was looking after the sheep. He was the shepherd. They were shepherds together. Of course, more than just being lots of shepherds throughout the Bible, God so often is described as the great shepherd of his flock. God is the great shepherd. We first hear it from Jacob. We looked at that relatively recently in in Genesis chapter 48. As Jacob is blessing Manasseh and Ephraim, he says this, uh, in Genesis uh, 48 and verse 15, he blessed Joseph and his sons, and, and he said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who's delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. It's a familiar way of describing God. We see David in Psalm 23. So, Such well-known words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But Asaph, also in the Psalms, picked up a, a similar theme in Psalm chapter 80, verse 1. He launches in, hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Again, describing, God, God, you're the one who leads us like a shepherd. You're the shepherd of the flock. So many shepherds. Israel's leaders also often described as shepherds and often not positively. Ezekiel chapter 34 is one key place. The prophet Ezekiel is given a message by God to bring to the leaders of Israel. At the beginning of Ezekiel 34 the word of the Lord came to me son of man prophesy against the shepherds of Israel prophesy and say to them this is what the sovereign Lord says woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves should not shepherds take care of the flock and he goes on to describe how they've been behaving unless you go later in that that passage having described the, the leaders you're supposed to lead and be the shepherds but you've just become fat and lazy. You're not taking care of the sheep. So it picks up the theme again of what God will do in verse 11 of the same chapter. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. Israel's leaders described us shepherds who've got it wrong. God described as the great shepherd of his flock. And God declaring in that chapter how he would send a shepherd. Ezekiel 34, verse 23, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. God, pointing forward, I'm going to send one who will be the shepherd. So as Jesus talks to the Pharisees, it's massively significant that he picks up on this imagery. And massively significant what he says. So he tells a story about sheep. Pharisees, you can understand this. Anyone who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the gate, see if they don't come through the gate, if they come over the wall, they're climbing over the wall, you're probably gonna imagine they're up to no good. And Jesus goes a bit stronger, anyone who climbs over the wall, that's a robber, a thief. But it makes sense. And they would have understood When the sheep are in the pen, enclosed by the wall, there's one gate to come in. If someone's trying to come in over the wall, they're probably not there for a good reason. Okay. But the one who enters by the gate, well, he's the shepherd. Because otherwise, the gatekeeper's not gonna open the gate for him. Yeah? Makes sense, you understand? The sheep are safe in the pen. The gatekeeper's not going to open the gate to a wolf or a robber. Oh, yeah, you look all right. It's going to be a bit of a problem. Or someone he doesn't know, or just some bloke who turns up and said, Yeah, I'd quite like to have some sheep, thanks. It's not likely to happen. They understand how the ways of shepherding worked. The gatekeeper opens the gate for the shepherd. And he goes on. And you understand about shepherds. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. That's how they used to lead the sheep around. The the shepherd would be talking to the sheep and the sheep would grow to know the shepherd's voice. And so when lots of sheep were put in the same pen together, when the shepherd or one of the shepherds went into the pen, he could call all his own sheep by name. He could call them by the sound of his voice because they would understand his voice. They, They would have known this He said, this would be a familiar picture, even to the Pharisees who weren't specifically looking after sheep. This would have been familiar to them. The sheep, any of the sheep, they're going to follow their shepherds. They're not going to follow a stranger. In fact, sheep might not always be the most obviously sensible creatures, but if they hear a stranger's voice, they'll probably run away from him, probably quite sensibly. So Jesus tells them this story. Look, you understand about sheep. So I'll tell you it like this. But intriguingly, we're told, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. Now, I don't think the fact is that the Pharisees didn't understand about shepherding, and about sheep, and about The fact that, obviously, if the guy's trying to climb over the wall, he's probably a robber. I think they got that bit. In reality, what they're saying is, Jesus, what's your point? We don't get it. They don't understand what he's trying to tell them. He's told them this story, comparing the robbers who climb over the wall and the shepherd who comes through the gate and the fact that the sheep listen to the shepherd and they understand who the shepherd is. So Jesus, hopefully for our benefit, goes on to explain. He's told them a story from their context, but they don't understand what he means. So Jesus goes on to explain and and in doing so, he uses these wonderful two I am statements. I am the gate for the sheep. And I am the good shepherd. Wonderful, wonderful phrases that he goes on to expand. And we'll look at them in turn. He uses each of them twice. Because firstly we come in verse 7 to this because the Pharisees didn't understand therefore Jesus said again very truly I tell you I am the gate for the sheep all who have come before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep have not listened to them I don't know about you but I think that statement catches us slightly off guard he's just told a story about the robbers come over the wall yep we understand and the shepherd comes through the gate Jesus is the shepherd right? Jesus is the shepherd well he is he's going to go on and tell us that but he doesn't do that straight away firstly he catches us off guard with this statement he's not immediately saying Pharisees come on you're the robbers or I'm the shepherd no no I'm the gate he catches us off guard we're expecting him to identify as the shepherd as he obviously does uh, later on but I am the gate Pharisees do you hear all who've come before are thieves and robbers. Do you understand now, Pharisees? Do you understand the implication of what I'm saying to you? You see, the Pharisees, they've been wanting to judge him. Well, is he okay? Is this new teacher, is he okay? Is he, can he be one of the shepherds like us? Can he kind of, is he worth listening to? Or is he, is he demon-possessed? And we should avoid him like the plague. Now, Jesus has already spoken to them and pointed in this direction. No, do you see, Pharisees? I'm the gate. I'm the way in. I'm the one through whom you come to God. Don't work out whether you think I might be able to teach a bit like you can. I'm the way, I'm the gate. The Pharisees have wanted to judge. Oh, is he okay? Is he all right? He's healing on the Sabbath. Uh, Well, we might think about whether we can listen to him. Jesus points it straight I'm the gate, I'm the way in. So, actually, Pharisees, are you okay? Are you pointing the people to me? Are you coming to me yourself? Are you leading the people to me? Or have you got it completely wrong? Are you rejecting me? So Jesus tells them, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Pharisees, what are you telling the people, leading them away? You're like the thieves and the robbers. You claim to see and yet you're blind. You don't see it. Don't you understand Pharisees? Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And he continues, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. This is Jesus' glorious truth of who Jesus is. We're expecting shepherd, and we're going to get shepherd, but he's the gate, he's the way in. As he goes on to say later on, which we will come to, of course, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Except through me. I'm the way in. You see, it's a direct challenge to the Pharisees, but this is glorious truth to those who will hear. I'm the gate. I'm the way in. Come to me. And you'll find salvation. Come to me, I'm the way in. I'm the way. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus pointing out so clearly, I am the only way to salvation. Salvation is found in me alone. There is no other way. So many things will set up and say, we've got a good way for you to go. No, no, the, the way to fulfillment in life, it's found inside you. The way to fulfillment in life and salvation, it could be found in any number of different religions or different paths. Salvation and fulfillment and safety and security, it's found in money. Or it's found in this relationship, or that relationship, or a different relationship. No, no, none of those things can fully satisfy. None of those things can truly fulfill. None of those things can save. Only Jesus. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. This is what Jesus comes to tell them straight away. You understand, sheep are safe in the pen. I'm the way in. I'm the way in. Entering through Jesus provides the safety and security and salvation for the sheep. And he goes on. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So much in this passage so many familiar statements that are so packed with truth but he goes on I've come that they may have life and have it to the full this contrast with the thieves and robbers what do they do? they come only to kill and destroy they come only to kill and destroy again he's pointing at the Pharisees see the example that's just gone the blind man In chapter 9, Jesus has seen this blind man and to display God's glory in his life and to have mercy on him, he's opened his eyes, he's healed him. He's done something slightly strange in spitting on the ground and making mud with his saliva and putting it on his eyes and then told him to go and wash it off, but he's made him see. He's opened his eyes, he's brought life. And yet what are the Pharisees doing? The Pharisees are criticising, picking holes. Yeah, but how did he do it again? And, And when did he do it? Well, if it was on the Sabbath, then I don't really think it's very good at all. Coming to the conclusion, well, this just isn't right. So you get out of here. You see the contrast. Jesus, the one who's come to give life and life to the full and the Pharisees are just sapping life Jesus gives life he's the only one so many other ways may promise life and fulfilment but they cannot deliver so much in this world will say come to me I'll give you satisfaction come to me and I'll give you life come to me and I'll make your life so much better so much richer but none of them can satisfy. None of them come through on their promises like thieves and robbers. They just take life away. Only Jesus brings life and life in all its fullness. He is the gate. He is the way. The way in. The way to safety. The way to salvation. The way to life in all its fullness. They will go in and out, and find pasture. There would have been a clear allusion to what Moses says in Numbers chapter 27. And verse 15. He's praying to God. Uh, Moses said to the Lord, may the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community the people of Israel, to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. You see, Jesus, the one through whom you can come in and go out and find part. It's all of life encompassed. I'm going to lead you. You see, he's the gate, but he's already alluding to the fact that he's the shepherd too. Everything of life is included. You will go in and come out. You will find pasture. I will lead you through your life. Just as Moses prayed that one would be raised up in numbers to lead the people. So Jesus firstly says to them, I am the gate. Salvation's only found in him. I am the gate. Life in all its fullness is only found in me. Pharisees, see who it is that you're talking to. The one in whom is life and salvation. But he's not finished. There's plenty there already, but he's not finished. Why is it that in me is found life and salvation? Because he's not only the gate. He's the good shepherd. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, if we want to tie this image down, we can get confused. It's like, well, is Jesus the gate or is he the shepherd? Uh, Or or is is he somehow talking about, he might have been alluding to the fact that out in the wilderness, uh, sometimes the shepherd would effectively be the gate. He would sit in the the gate and stop anything else coming in. There would be a small sheep pen and the shepherd would sit there. But we don't need to get caught up. It's this wonderful, messy image. Jesus is the gate, yes. But Jesus is the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, Jesus has painted a picture. Robbers come. They come over the wall. They're coming to steal and destroy The shepherd, he comes in through the gate. The gatekeeper lets the shepherd in because the shepherd cares for the sheep. I'm going to let you in because I know you have the best interest of the sheep at heart. This is the picture he's built as he told the story to the shepherds and the sheep will listen to the shepherd and the sheep know the shepherd cares for them. You see, the shepherd cares for the sheep and ultimately the good shepherd, as Jesus says here, lays down his life for the sheep. What does he contrast straight away? The hired hand is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You see, Jesus brings this contrast. I'm the good shepherd. If you're my sheep, I care for you. You're mine. I know you, I love you, I lay my life down for you. But you see, you could understand a shepherd, it was his sheep. He cared for the sheep. He's got the sheep, thinking about an actual shepherd with sheep now. You get where I'm going. The shepherd, he cared because they're his sheep. By hired hand, he might care for the sheep a bit. Someone who's just been hired, here's a job, look after the sheep for me, please. Now, he might care enough to to do do something because he cares for the shepherd, he cares for the sheep, but in reality, it's just a job. I'm earning some money. And the reality is, if a wolf comes, I don't think this is worth it somehow. I'm off. If a wolf comes to attack the sheep and the hired hand is there, yeah, okay, okay, this seemed like quite a good job, maybe. Well, it was a job at least. Now it's just not worth it. I'm off. I'm off. I'm not See my life isn't worth it. These sheep aren't worth my life. It was worth it to have a job. The hired hand. When trouble comes, when this when the, when a wild animal attacks, when a wolf comes. I'll be off, thanks. But the good shepherd, he doesn't leave. The good shepherd, when trouble comes, he lays down his life for the sheep. We see, again, an allusion back, we can, we can think back to, to David again. David, the one who, I think of his experience As he talked to King Saul, Saul's saying, what are you going to do, little boy, against this giant? Well, hang on a minute. I've been looking after my father's sheep. And out in the wilderness, with my father's sheep, wild animals attack, right? I fought them off. I wasn't letting them get to the sheep. They're our sheep. I'm not letting them get to it. So I've dealt with bears and wolves. I'm making up the list of animals now because I didn't check. Lions. Elephants? No. Um, but wild animals attacked. David said, "They're not getting my sheep. They're not getting my sheep. I'm fighting for my sheep." You see, you can see that the, the sense, the shepherd, he fights for the sheep. He, he's not David wasn't a hired hand. It was his sheep. It's his father's sheep. I'm looking after them, but the hired hand would run away. You see Jesus, the good shepherds, he goes even further. David fought for the sheep. David fought off the bears and the lions and the wolves and the anyway, wild animals. I stick with wolves and bears. that's probably, probably good. He fought for the sheep. But what's Jesus saying? The good shepherd, me, I lay down my life for the sheep. Not only fighting off the wild animals, I'm not just fighting for the sheep, I'm dying for the sheep. I will die for them. He has died for us. Here is the good shepherd. Here is, look at what Jesus is saying, this is love. John so so picks this up as he writes uh, in his first letter, 1 John, uh, chapter 3. Firstly, verse 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. What great love that we should be called children of God. But he goes on in verse 16 this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, Jesus, the Great Shepherd, laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is love. Jesus, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life that he may be the gate, that he may be the way in, that he may be the way to the Father. Here is love. Laying down his life, that he may be the gate for the sheep. The wonderful description in Hebrews chapter 10, as the writer kind of warms to his theme, in Hebrews 10 and verse 19, he's drawing a slightly different picture, but actually brings the, the same theme in Hebrews 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. And I could keep going, but I'll stop there. He's drawing a slightly different picture. He's looking at the temple and the priests and the the temple system, but he's saying, look, because Jesus laid down his life, he's opened the way. And now through him, in that passage, the curtain, we know the curtain was torn in two, but now as we come through him, the curtain, into God's presence, as Jesus says here, I'm the gate. I'm the shepherd who lays down his life so that through me, you can come in. I've laid down my life that you may come in to be with the Father, that you may be forgiven, that you may be with God, that you may be saved. Jesus, the good shepherd, lays down his life. As he goes on in verse 16, he's talked about the fact that he has other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. It's a wonderful sense. In one sense, yes, Jesus is killed by the, by the Jews and the Romans, but in such a greater sense, Jesus lays down his life. It's mine to lay down and it's mine to take up as Chris so wonderfully reminded us earlier on. On that, on that Friday certainly and on that Sunday morning when the women went to the tomb it looked like it had all gone wrong. It looked like well, Jesus has been killed. Jesus is gone. No, he's laid down his life and he's taken it back up again. He died. Now he's risen. He's beaten death. He's conquered death. He's done it. Jesus, the good shepherd. As Paul says in Philippians, that wonderful, those wonderful verses, uh, in Philippians 2, verse 5 to 11, that Jesus humbled himself, became a man, and then humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross, then what? Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, laid down his life, and raised it up again. He says it a fourth time. We've kind of jumped over it in verse fourteen. I am the good shepherd. Sorry, he says this a second time. It's the fourth I am. I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as Jesus knows the Father and the Father knows him, he's the gate and he's the good shepherd that we may know the Father, that we may know him with intimacy and closeness. What closeness is he describing? I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I have come to lay down my life, to raise it up again, to be the gate for the sheep that means that they can come in and have intimate relationship with me and with my father. What wonderful truth. My sheep know me and I know my sheep. They hear my voice and they follow. How telling therefore that the Pharisees do not understand what he's telling them. For the glorious truth for us who believe, for us who are in Christ, we're a sheep. We know his voice. He knows us and we know him. What an encouragement to pray. What an encouragement to come before him and say, Jesus, let me know you more. Let me hear your voice. Let me know the truth of the good shepherd leading me on. What an encouragement to get to know the shepherd more. As Paul prays for the Ephesians in Ephesians 1 verse uh, 17. Ephesians 1 verse 17, he keeps asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What better thing is there to pray than that we would know him more? It's wonderful truth. Just quickly, he has sheep from other pens. What glorious glorious truth for us to know. Jesus letting the Pharisees know that his sheep know his voice and there are more of them from beyond Israel, from beyond just the Jews. And as Gentiles predominantly, if not exclusively, I don't know, in this room, we stand in the good of what Jesus is saying here. He is called by name, sheep from every nation on earth. He came to his own but his message has gone out across the earth called by name sheep from other folds Jesus saves us the good shepherds the gate for the sheep the encouragement today is this he's the way he's the only one he is God's. Jesus the gate for the sheep and the good shepherd who leads us on the good shepherd who's laid down his life for us. Come to him. Come to him today. Come to him if you don't know him and find salvation. Find that he is the one who gives life. He is the one who is the only one who gives life, life in all its fullness. Where so many other ways would say, Come here, come here, I'll give you a good life. I'll. I can show you the meaning of everything. I can show you what's going on. No, there's none other than Jesus. Come to him. And come to him today. So struck by those words, the thieves come to steal and kill and destroy. But he comes to give life. So many today, who may be heavy laden, may feel wounded and robbed of joy and of peace, feel like any number of things may have robbed and destroyed things from you. It doesn't feel very much like life in all its fullness. For some also, maybe feel actually I've wandered from this. I've looked in other places. Well, the call to all of us is come to him. Come to him. I'm going to close by reading those words of David in Psalm 23. You see, David doesn't make any bones about it here that somehow everything is always lovely or that somehow hardship never comes, or somehow everything seems easy, but one thing he is clear about, God is with me. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake.